Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Style Defines Us podcast. We are very excited to have Ron Thurston on our podcast today. He is the best-selling author of Retail Pride. He is also the vice president of stores at Intermix and is on the board of directors at Goodwill. Ron has worked at West Elm, Apple, Tory Birch, Bonobos, and E. Saint Laurent. We met Ron at a networking workshop when we had not even started the style that binds us. Thank you for being here, Ron. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so happy to, to see you both, hear you both. Um, <laughs> we have a friendship now that goes back several years. And so, yeah, I, I do remember that weekend well. Same. We were all, you know, trying to figure out the next steps. We were trying to figure out the next steps. And the book at that time was just kind of a dream. Right. Here we are. You have a hugely successful brand and I have a best-selling book. Oh my God. And much more. (laughs) (laughs) Incredible career. And I remember we were standing outside and our mutual friend, the health chef, Julia said, y'all need to come together and create a mother-daughter business. And mom's like, I'm not sure about that. But (laughs) I feel like it was such a pivotal weekend for all of us. And the thing about Ron The conversation today is really geared toward retail and as he quotes in the book that many people start their careers in retail, which I did, which was so crazy. I started in, I worked at a makeup store in Alabama and then in college, I worked at a Lily Pulitzer store, Ron. So you might not have even known that. Do you want to start by walking us through your incredible career path? Uh, Thank you. I would love to. Um, so I am originally from California. I, I grew up in um, actually Lake, South Lake Tahoe, um, which is a very small town, kind of ski, really known for skiing and then you know, water skiing in the summer and snow skiing in the winter. Mm. And my family owned a construction company. Mm-hmm. And my grandfather built some of the first grocery stores, like the first firehouse, the first schoolhouse, the first everything. Wow. Um, built by my grandfather. And so there were kind of three generations of us in South Lake Tahoe, which was crazy. My uncle was the mayor. Oh, it's I love really it. like, it's unheard of. But and I'm sure it's beautiful. Beautiful. It's a beautiful place. And, but as his business grew, um, he became kind of the primary contractor for all the Safeway stores on the West Coast mm. and built, so built all the grocery stores. And my family moved down to Sacramento um, because that's where the headquarters were for Safeway. Mm. And my point was, is, is that he, as a leader of his organization, a large construction company, really set the bar for me around leadership and you know, how he led, how he listened, how he was curious, how he made everyone feel important. So many of the tenets that I write about the book, I learned from him. And as my kind of thought process about what I wanted to do, that I really wanted to work in fashion somehow. I didn't know if I wanted to be a buyer. I didn't know if I wanted to be a designer. I didn't know if I wanted to work in retail. I just know I wanted to be in this business. <laughs> and so I went to FITM in California and got two different degrees. Again, still not sure what I wanted to do. One in retail, one in fashion design and started my career actually in, in the fashion design space. I was a pattern maker. I was an assistant store, assistant design room manager. I became the head designer of a couple of different brands. Um, and, and I thoroughly enjoyed it, but I uh, had also done retail, similar to you, Delia, like part-time. I would, when I was in college, I worked two different sales jobs in retail all throughout my, my life. I had worked different points in retail. And started at the Gap, um, kind of early 90s when Gap was really growing and specifically at Gap Kids is where I started. And that was such an interesting time for the brand because they were, um, this was even pre-Baby Gap. And I just had this kind of 10-year run with them that I became, you know, from sales to leadership to a general manager of the highest volume store on the West Coast to a district manager to working in corporate visual merchandising and then just grew my, my career and then have since joined brands that I felt like were really important at the time of their existence. So when I joined West Elm, you know, which was 
you know, part of a historic Williams Sonoma family of brands, but was this fast, fast paced, almost fast fashion version of home furnishings. Um, I joined Apple when they were really growing quickly and launching the iPhone. Um, I joined when we just had launched iPhone 2. Um, I had, when I joined Tory several years later, Tory Birch kind of helped grow the business on the West Coast. Store number one was here in New York on Elizabeth Street. And store number two for Tory was actually in LA, um, which people don't always know on Robertson Boulevard. And so I kind of took it from store number two and then grew the business on the West Coast um, for her. And I think we ended up with 20 some odd stores over the course of several years. Uh, and then yes, with St. Laurent and Bonobos. And then today I'm back at Gap Inc. Uh, running the luxury women's division. So it has been a, the course of that is about 25 years, but I uh, have loved every minute of it and was excited to, to write a book that celebrates the industry that's not always as recognized and celebrated as I think it should be. That's fascinating. I mean, you were right in the thick of all of it, of everything. When I think back to Gap Kids, and I mean, it's just so iconic. And then the beginning of Tory Burch and Apple and West Elm was so cool. I mean, you just have had such a great career. And now we're here together because of this book launch. And can you tell us the main points of the book? I would love to. The the vision of, of the book really started several years ago, right? As we said, right when we met and I continued to hear about this retail apocalypse, continued to think, you know, everyone was talking about how hard it was to work in retail, the death of retail, the headlines in every trade paper were really devastating to people like myself who have always loved this business and didn't always appreciate kind of the negativity that was being shared. Or, and I would meet people um, and I would tell them that I worked in retail and it was always, you know, oh gosh, like, I'm sorry. Um, and I'm like, no, it's great. I love it. And and yes, there have been plenty of store closures, and this has been a particularly difficult year. But what I say is it doesn't, that doesn't mean that people that work in this industry don't love it and that they aren't really proud of it. And so I put this over the course of time, this book together, that is a little bit about my history. It's not a memoir, but I wanted to set the stage that I've been doing this work for a long time. But the beginning of the book is, is the 10 reasons why we love working in retail, entirely my opinion, but the 10 reasons why we love it. Um, there's a, the next section is around the three pillars of great retail, which are empathy, curiosity, and focus. Uh, and so that, then that applies to anyone that works in this business. I think those three pillars really can set the stage. Uh, and then I write a section on kind of what I call Ron's retail leadership. Um, kind of foundation, if you will, that if you are in leadership today, if you're not in leadership today, you think about working in retail leadership, you want to grow your career, I give you what I think is a really good foundation of, of competencies to work on. Uh, and then the last part is really around creating a winning culture because re- regardless of the brand that you work for, you, all of us have such influence into the culture of the work environment and the culture of the company and what we want to create, how we engage with each other, what we do, um, and then how do we build our career? And some advice on having a board of of your own kind of personal board of advisors, how to be more engaged in networking, um, because this is really such a self-taught business that I felt like this was a missing opportunity, a missed opportunity to not have more resources for people, the millions of people that work in this business. Uh, and that, that I think will, will help get us back on track to bringing pride back into retail again. Oh, I love that. I know I thought about so much the Barney's employees and my career at Barney's and everything. Mm-hmm. I really, really enjoyed reading the book. So Ron, do you wanna tell us how to be a great leader or manager? Sure. So I'll go back to that uh, section I referenced about 
kind of the foundations of, of leadership. So I'll just go over, there's six of them and I'll just briefly mention. So one is maybe my favorite, have an optimistic attitude. So I, when I go back and think again about all the kind of negativity that's in the news about retail, it's, I think people find it difficult to be optimistic. But I would say when you, re, when you reflect on the leaders that you've been around, that you, your favorite ones that you work for, people that you admire, the people that you maybe read or listen to their podcasts, they have a very optimistic attitude. And no one likes to be around someone who thinks that everything is doom and gloom every day. And so if I put number one, the number one foundation of a successful retail leader is an optimistic attitude. And it's not that there's a lack of awareness of what's going on around us, but that there's a, an attitude of, we can do this, we can build this back, we can do this together, let's work hard on restructuring um, our business in a new way with an optimistic attitude and get this back. And that is, that's a winning formula, I believe. Um, the second one is tell people what you stand for. So being very transparent in your communication with your team, exactly what do you need, how well are they doing, um, providing a lot of feedback, being honest about what's happening, but always telling people what you stand for. Uh, number three is be known as someone who gets things done. There is an attitude that, it, that is very common in retail that we have a lot of energy, we have a lot of drive, we engage and get a lot done and can handle a lot of different tasks. And I think it's great to have a reputation as someone who can just get things done, can hand it off to, some, to that particular person, that leader, and you know that it's always going to be accomplished. And I think it's a, again, it's a foundation of the, the leaders with the best reputation are really those that are known as getting things done. Um, number four, which is kind of a personal favorite, is hire the right people. And I say, you know, it's not always about their resume. It's not always just about the exact kind of list of requirements that you think you should have. That the right person may have a unique background, may have a unique skill set, may have not worked at the brand that's just like the one you work for. Um, but that right person that is really engaging, again, maybe demonstrating some of these retail foundations of leadership that is eager and curious and, and has done their homework. All of those skills to me are about hiring the right person. And I've often been very pleasantly surprised that I hired the kind of non-traditional person and have found great success giving them leadership along the way. Uh, so that is number four. Number five, make everyone feel important. I referenced that back to my grandfather of great leaders make everyone around them feel important, regardless of role, no matter what your, no matter what your responsibility is in the store, in the company, that everyone adds value, everyone is important, but leadership is about making sure that they know that. And you're sharing that feedback and you're, um, you're listening and you're changing the company based on feedback that you've learned, you've evolved the culture. Uh, and that, um, I think, is a very well-respected skill that leaders can have. And the last one, um, which is, I think, very important for those that are potentially looking for their next opportunity or may have had an impact to their role in 2020, is have a great story to tell. Know how to tell your story know about why, why you ended up in retail, why you chose the brands that you did, what did you do, what were your results, what is kind of your future dream. And if even though this may have been an accident, which is why you know, the subtitle of the book is The Guide to Celebrating Your Accidental Career, it is often an accident, but it doesn't mean that you shouldn't have a great story to tell and that the, the feedback that you've received along the way and why you're doing this and kind of shifting your attitude from accidental to intentional is part of your story. Uh, and I love the idea of taking something that you didn't expect to happen and embracing it and saying, this is now my story and I'm gonna own my career. And that is, that's a different 
attitude than many people that work in retail have. So that's a long answer to your question, but those are the, you know, those foundations can take, um, done well, can really help build someone's career. You know, all of those things are like things we should live by, <laughs> you know, like everyone yeah. adds value. I mean, it's, it's so sad that, that that's not just a given in the world, you know, and also it just is such a no brainer to make people feel you know, a part of the team or to feel like, um, you know, what, like, don't just point out things they didn't do, but, you know, find little things to pat people on the back about, call them out in a positive way. So this next question is all about that. What's the best way to build a team and encourage working together rather than competing with each other? Mm -hmm. I would reference the, kind of the last part of the book around culture because team teamwork and culture go so hand in hand mm. and the, you can create a culture of, of individual contributors. So if I think about sometimes in our luxury retail business, it can be built on the, on the idea of a lack of teamwork and that I'm commission based. I have my clients, I have my own business, I sell a million dollars a year. And I don't need anybody else to help me. That's um, not uncommon. Right. But I would actually say, if you build a culture of service and serving others, serving each other, and that you build an infrastructure that is both about the team and about the individual contributor, that's a winning combination. And that customers, particularly today, know when they are being sold to. Right. And that, that you are on commission and that, that yeah. can feel very uncomfortable for the customer. Yeah. And no one today has the luxury of losing a client to your website because you were fighting among yourself. Yes. Nobody. Or someone yeah. else's website. Or someone else's web. You're exactly right. Someone else that has, that can get it to me faster right. um, or cheaper, you know, oh. all of those things. And so I think if, more than ever, if clients have taken the opportunity to, to make it to your store, they've walked into your store, then mm -hmm. what you create as a leader around culture of teamwork and that energy, and we're all here to serve, we're all here for the same goal, we want to work together to make this, to make this the best experience for the client and the best experience for the team, that's where you will gain that business back. And if that's done well, the client will continue to come back again and again yes. and again. Um, and if not, you will lose that client to someone else. Absolutely. Yeah. We had a situation, Dee and I did one time in a very nice department store in New York City in the luxury department. And um, one person had started a suggesting room and another person came up and she wanted to put some things in the dressing room. And when the man came up and, you know, we said, we're, he's already put some things in the dressing room and she got very upset. And she said, that's not fair. You already have two dressing rooms, you know, mm -hmm. and, and you looked at me, she goes, we're out of here. We are out of here. This is mm -hmm. horrifying. You know, it was just so uncomfortable. And so, I mean, like, you know, we didn't really want to even go back there. So that's exactly what you were saying. If yeah. you do that, you really mess up any chance of getting a sale and you, um, you know, and of course we went and told other people, you're not gonna believe what happened to us today. Exactly. So exactly. it was really not, not a, not a good thing. It's not. And I would say, you know, I would reference back the leader of that floor of that right. floor and say, what, what kind of culture are you creating? Is this about the competition of the sale? Because if that's true, then you, you were, you're going to struggle. Or is it about service? And that is exactly what happened. Someone reached out to me just like through a survey. And I told the, you know, the truth, what had happened. And they immediately asked if they could have a call. And they set up a call and we talked about it. And, mm -hmm. um, and you know, they were hurting. The store was hurting. Retail was hurting. These people were desperate. And it just was unfortunate. And um 
it's just a hard thing. It's a hard thing to do, be commission-based and not be commission-based. Yeah. You know, it's just hard. But it is hard. Yeah. But if you're telling your, your employees all the time how important they are and how, you know, how great they are as a team and all of the things that you can do to keep them from feeling so desperate, maybe that would, you know, be a place to start instead of somehow pitting them against each other. I think so. And I also think, you know, I've run commission structures that are part team based. I still do today. Part mm-hmm. team, part individual. Okay. So, if so you could say, um, yeah, you earn a certain percentage on everything you sell. But if collectively we make a sales goal as a team, your commission rate goes up for the month by another percentage point or two percentage points. So there's oh, an individual yeah, there's an individual component and there's a team. And if if we as a team miss it, then all of us lose. If we as right. a team make the store goal, we all win. And I love that attitude of, yeah, I want you to sell as much as you can, but we're gonna do this together and we're gonna support each other. Yeah, that's awesome. And I have never, um, just in reference to Intermix, I have never, ever, ever felt like, I don't know how you have it structured, but they're all on their microphones and or whatever, their little <laughs> radioing downstairs or somewhere, but they're all like, anybody wants to help you and they're all friendly and it's relaxed and it's a, it's like a, like you're in your dressing room at your house, you know, kind of experience. I love to hear that. And they, that is their structure. It's part individual, part team. It's fabulous. Yeah. And I, I actually think it's, it's the, if you're going to run a commission environment, it's the only way to work. Yeah. Well, it works. That one works. Yes. And do you think that leaders can, are they born or can you be taught to be a leader? Mm. I think anyone can be taught by a variety of different mentors in your life. So I do think one person can't teach you everything uh, to become a leader. But if you surround yourself with people who you believe lead well and have different skills and competencies, and you kind of take pieces and parts of all of those, that anyone has the opportunity to do that. Um, I think there's certainly skills we're all born with that are unique, Mm -hmm. but we all have the opportunity to lead. And I love the idea, particularly in retail, you don't have to have the title to lead. Mm -hmm. I remember being in same, like early, very young person working in retail saying, okay, Ron, like you're going to be in charge of, you know, making, I worked in a department store in men's making sure all the tie tables, all the ties are laid out straight. You know, I'm like, I'm in charge of ties. I'm in charge of tie tables. And, you know, I was considering myself a leader, even though I was a part-time sales associate, I'm in charge of ties. And I think it's just that attitude of, okay, great. Then you want to be in charge of this department? Yes, I do. So we can all, we can all learn and, and take those moments to, to demonstrate leadership, even if you don't have that title. I'm such a fan of this kind of concept of owning, owning your own experience that way. I love that. I love that. I'm in charge of ties and you're proud of it. <laughs> I mean, that's awesome. I was, I, I, and I was good at it. Right. What are some things one can do to become a successful sales associate? So I know we talked a little bit about this from a service perspective, but when I, if I go back and reference um, around the three pillars of great retail, mm-hmm. I would say again, empathy, curiosity, focused. So if I'm today in early 2021, a sales associate, my number one competency should be empathy. Mm. That I listen, I ask great questions, I'm curious, I'm focused on what I need to get done. I'm, I am trying to understand and put myself in the shoes of that client that has had maybe a great year, maybe a horrible year, mm-hmm. but you are engaged and you're listening and you are offering up your, your service, your listening skills, the product that you think is right for that client, but you're doing it in a very empathetic, curious and focused way. And one of the skills that I think is often not as demonstrated in, in sales teams is curiosity. 
Um, and not, they don't mean it from a uh, product perspective mm-hmm. because they think they're very curious about product or trend or fashion. Right. I think the first questions you know, that great sales teams ask is, has nothing to do with product. It's about how are you? Tell me about your life. Tell me, what do you wear every day? What are your favorite pieces in your closet? What are your go-tos? And then certainly I know both of you can relate to this very much. It's your business, but it's, but it doesn't, um, it can be a missed skill to Mm -hmm. ask more questions before you try trying to sell something. I think that's fabulous. Mm-hmm. It's also, once again, you know, the three pillars that could go towards, you know, being a good friend or a good, you know, a support person, sure. anything. That's, that's so true. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I love this, you know, kind of taking, taking the, the complexity out of the job description and in in a highly complex business like retail and say, I just need you to be human. I don't want you to sell anything. I want you to engage your clients, everyone that walks in here today. I want them to feel like they've learned something. They feel better about their day, about how they feel, about it's something that's going on in their life that they feel better when they leave the store than when they walked in. And if, if all that happens is someone comes in and you say hello and you say, are you looking for anything today? No, I'm good. I'm just going to wander around. I haven't been in the store for a while. Okay, I'm great. Like my name's Ron. You let me know if you need anything. That, that is, I could walk down the street today and that's what I would get. And I would say that's not good enough anymore. Mm. Um, that you have to be able to engage and be empathetic and listen in a way that we've never had to do before. So what should the introduction be instead? Yeah, I think just tell, tell me about you. Tell me a, yeah. a, little, a little bit more about you. I want, I want you, here's what I would say. I would say, I want you to have the best experience possible today while you're here. Tell me just a little bit more about what, who, how you live your life. And so that I can show you some of my favorite things. Um, because in the, in the fashion space, and they clients from my experience are looking for recommendations. They want to, they want to know what your favorite pieces are. What are your favorite brands? What's your favorite trend? What's happening in your store? Um, or maybe, you know what? I work at CVS and I could ask a few more questions about you know, everything that you need in your, in your life that I can get at CVS. Well, let me tell you a little bit more about what's here today. Um, so I, that takes a lot of energy and a level of engagement, but imagine the possibilities if everyone was a little bit more curious and a little more empathetic in retail today. Those are the most successful salespeople. Oh, sure. Yeah. And they get the repeat customers. They absolutely do. Yeah. If you can somehow marry like authenticity, like I'm, I'm really not trying to push things on you. And you can tell after a little while if they're just not having it. But, you know, if they're wearing leopard print, then do you love leopard print? So do I, you know, and then you just go with it from there, wherever you can take it to you somehow, like um, challenge yourself to make a connection with the people. And even if they don't buy anything, when they, they'll probably come back when they're ready to buy something. That's exactly right. And that's, that's the reality today is that if they're not really shopping for anything, because they don't need anything given that they're home more, mm-hmm. right. they, they will remember you. And right. then when it's ready to travel and you know, the, the, all the exciting things that will maybe happen later this year, they'll come back and see you and spend money. Right. It's all an investment in, in a future business. Right. Uh, and which it, is hard on a day you have zero sales. That is, is a hard, hard, it's hard. I understand. It's hard. It's hard, but also that empathy part, like kind of understanding, okay, this person, probably is used to being accosted when she comes in a store, pressured, followed around, mm-hmm. um, pushed things on, oh, that looks great on you. You know, they, maybe there's already a bit of like mistrust. So how am I going to turn it around to where when this woman leaves, she says, I loved talking with you today. Right, right, exactly. I, I, I reference my time at, at Bonobos because, so in that business model, that is entirely dedicated to service. 
So you can't actually walk around in a Bonobo's guide shop and pick up something and take it to the cash wrap and buy it. Right. It's not, it's, it's the, it's the complete lack of Mm self-service and that's the beauty of it is that you actually are required to engage. Right. You're required to teach and educate a man on how his clothes should fit and what does he need for upcoming events and how can I stay in touch? And he never leaves with a shopping bag. There's no, there isn't a cash trap. It's only about service and styling. And I think that that model today, it's, it is more difficult in, in the women's space. I appreciate Mm -hmm. it. And they had also tried it with their women's brand for a while. And it's not exactly as most women don't shop that way and didn't actually enjoy it. Um, and I've thought about trying it up and up at Intermix and, you know, every brand fits differently. Every, every, right. every dress fits differently. Um, so it doesn't really work, but in that business model for that kind of end use product, it's a great way to say my only intention today is to, um, make everyone a little smarter, a little more engaged, um, and, and know about the brand and capture customer information. So it's a very inexpensive, like great way to do it if you love service. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Okay. Do you have any advice for retail employees on how to deal with difficult, disgruntled, ungrateful, or negative customers? <laughs> <laughs> We've all had them for sure. Um, I, I think I would just go back around empathy and curiosity and okay. say, you know, tell me everything. Let me. I will listen and I will learn and I will engage and I will try to solve this for you um, and share that you are empathetic to the problem that they're having. And not, not everyone wants to hear that, but mm-hmm. I do think that there's a level of um, like when it's escalated to me, it's all, I will, just tell me I'm, I'm here to listen and help you mm-hmm. and solve it. And that calms people down right yeah. there. That's all you have to do. Um, but it's people panic um, when there's a screaming customer. And uh, <laughs> sometimes, you know, it's, sometimes it's, it's funny, but I, you know, when I was running Apple stores, this was before like the cloud where everything was backed up in the cloud. Uh-oh. So if you remember correctly, if you had a phone back then 10 years ago, yeah, plug in your iPhone into your computer to back it up. Sure. It didn't back up in the cloud. So I would get people coming in with their iPhones and never backed them up. They'd used it for six months and then they dropped it in the pool and everything was gone. Right. And all the pictures are gone. Everything's gone. And there's yeah. no way to get it back. And like fear, throwing their phone at me, furious, like jumping over the counter, screaming at me. <laughs> desperate. They were desperate. Desperate. Because yeah, it all, maybe it, all the pictures of your baby, who knows? Right. But, it, but I think that there's a point of, you listen and you calm them down and you say, I will do everything I can to fix this for you. Some things I can't solve, but I look forward to having you back in. Let's teach you how to do this correctly and try to fix it. Mm -hmm. Not everything is fixable, Mm -hmm. but we can always listen and learn along the way. Right. Yeah. I think that that's great advice. Something go ahead, you know, we're going to do whatever we can, but then, but you can't promise, you know, that you can always fix it. But um, I think that's, it's that same thing about responding versus reacting. Cause usually if you can get them calm down there, they apologize. I'm sorry. I was just really upset earlier, but you've been so helpful, yep. you know, and then they go home and they say, Oh my gosh, I had to return something and they were just the greatest and yep. it's PR. Yeah. So those, what about some tips on how to keep calm when people are screaming at you or, you know, you can tell they're not even listening. They're not giving you a chance. Yeah. I think it's, you kind of take a deep breath and say, you know, I've used the term, you know, I appreciate that you're angry, mm-hmm. but I need this to also be professional. And so like, like profanity or mm-hmm. being aggressive or where you feel yeah. threatened is not okay. Right. And whether you need to call the police, whatever you need to do. And I have, I have had to do that, Sure. Um, that you, and don't take it personally too. Mm, that's that's right. About the, 
this is about a company issue and maybe you did make a mistake, but this is about, about work. And it's easy to say, don't take it personally when someone's screaming. Right. It's hard. It's super hard, but that would be my advice is whatever you can do, you know, that this is, you are trying to work around whatever is presented in front of you and whatever might be happening with the with this customer. And you also don't know what that customer is going through. Leading back to empathy. Back to empathy. You just don't know. They could be having like the worst day. Absolutely. And that's maybe that's why they're angry and they're just taking it out on you. And sometimes they'd feel better after they've done that too. Right. And, and if they did lose all the pictures of their baby and you can't bring those pictures back, you know, and you, obviously you think, well, I wish they had thought to do this, but you can be empathetic knowing they, they are really, they really screwed themselves up here, right. you know? So right. just empathy, empathy, and trying to help them however you can figure it out. And then if that doesn't work, you go to Ron or you have to call the police. <laughs> It's when you run a multi-million dollar business like a store. Yeah, everything's going to come with that. So things that happened over the summer around, you know, kind of looting. I had that situations. You have Mm. serious like HR related situations with COVID, Mm -hmm. which require a lot of empathy. You've got you know employees with financial struggles at home. Mm -hmm. That customers with all kinds of things happening in their life. We have to be better at this than we have ever had to be before. Wow. And it's uncharted territory. Yeah. Like you never had to like mass shut down a store because one employee got an alert that they had been possibly exposed. I mean, you know, we didn't even know the rules. Right. Right. And so that. But you yeah. have to be the leader. You have to be the calm one. That's a very scary place. It is. And it takes practice and no one's good at it overnight. Ah. You have to keep keep working at it. I, I did too. We all have to just, no one's an expert the first day they get promoted to that job. I remember being promoted to becoming a district manager after having been a store manager for a, really just a handful of years. And then all of a sudden I had 10 stores that I was overseeing. Wow. The company cars. Here's, you know, the cell phone was in the console and, you know, here you go. You've got 10 stores. I didn't know what I was doing. And now I have all these people looking at me, looking for leadership. And so you just take a deep breath and say, I'm going to be the best I can for them on what they need today. Mm -hmm. And I crafted in my own leadership style around that idea of I'm not going to be I'm not going to solve everything every day, but I'm going to be the best I can for the people I interact with today. And that's often all people need. Right. And they need your book. (laughs) I need my book. (laughs) I mean, it's so great to now have a resource for these people too. You know, they can't talk to you. I might um, not be their district manager. So that's true. That is true. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for the plug. Oh, it's it's true. It's, it's so like a reference book. I know. I think, you know, maybe people need to read it yearly or something mm-hmm. <laughs> but because there's so much in there that you just kind of keep, you need to keep reading it. Ron, how did you as a leader keep yourself, take care of yourself mentally during this time? Mm. Um, you know, I think similarly of you try to shut it off when you can, that it's not year round it, or kind of around. Yeah. 24 seven. It's not 24 seven. Take care of, of yourself, whatever that means. You know, for me, it's, it's working out or doing yoga or like having kind of physical exercise that helps me mentally. Okay. I've changed also like the way I eat some over the course of, of the year um, around, you know, I, I didn't eat meat before, but now I also don't have any sugar. I don't have any flour and I don't have any alcohol there, I drink too much coffee. There are things that, you know, I try to do to also stay physically healthy that help my mental game Sure. Um, on top of it, because it takes a lot of kind of energy and, and food plays a big part in that. Mm-hmm. And so the way that, that I eat helps me maintain my energy and my drive and 
you know, running a company and, and working on a book at the same time. Right. And you can actually tell a difference when you eat healthy rather than when you eat, you know, a big you, yeah. hamburger and french fries and, you know, <laughs> some yummy dessert or whatever it would be that would normally make you, it really does make you feel sluggish. Like you really can't tell a difference. You really can for sure. And I know you guys, you, you experience and you write about it and, and sure. your lives too. You know, it's just part of an overall f healthy, you know, fashion, mental, right, right. Game, health, healthy game that I know your audience appreciates. Oh, yeah. And I pretty much have the same diet as you, but sometimes I, I cannot be too disciplined. Like I do need treats, especially mm -hmm. I'm finding in January <laughs> and until, until we get yeah. out of this. So do you do you ever treat yourself? Uh, I, you know, I'm really trying hard. It's, it's difficult. I actually did read that about you, things you can't live without. I don't remember I read that, Delia, that you couldn't leave with, live without dark chocolate. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, I can certainly appreciate that. <laughs> I know. It's like, why can't we have a great chocolate that has absolutely no sugar, but at least we know dark chocolate is good for us in other ways, you know. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay. And I know the book was not about, you mentioned, I think in the forward, maybe this is not about my predictions on the future of retail, but what are you excited about in the future with brick and mortar? So I'm, I'm really excited about the fact that we now have the chance to reinvent the best version of it that has ever existed. Yeah. We, are, we are almost being forced in some ways to recreate what, what we have always wanted this to be, which is highly connected, very client-centric, very edited, um, lower store count, probably lower inventory levels. Mm -hmm. All the things that we've been wanting to do, now we have to do. And so when I think about people coming back into stores, I think we should be better. And we should be more, even more engaged and have an even better assortment of whatever it is that you sell because you've had time to learn more about your client. You have less traffic coming in. You should have better service, all of those things. So I'm actually super excited. Whatever version of it is for your brand, that why not make it the best version possible? Because right now we have time to craft what that is. I love that. I love it. It's almost like you're turning a negative into a positive. And I also feel very excited about um, like there being differences in stores and, you know, getting away from big department stores, but like something like an intermix that's big enough that it can have multi-brands and kind of like, so the client knows the the voice of the store sort of, you know, like, like, Oh, I'm going to go to intermix. Like you said, cause I want to get a great party dress or the best shoe, whatever it is, you know, that, you know, or I just can't wait to go see. I always love what they have at intermix cause that they just get my style, yeah. you know, having a point of view, not selling out and just getting the, what, okay, this is trending. Well, I better get this now. Wow. So I feel like intermix is ahead of the curve there because of size and because of, um, you know, your aesthetic voice. What is the term for that? Your, I'm, yeah, it's like your point of view. Yeah. It, like the best edit, which is what it's always tried to be. Right. It's where you think about, you know, like a sax and maybe if you choose a brand like Veronica Beard, sax buys mm -hmm. 50 different SKUs. Right. Of, right. Of Veronica Beard, puts it on the Veronica Beard department and the customers have to kind of figure it out where we would right. say, let's pick the top 10 best things that we love the most from Veronica Beard and then, but mix it with other brands and put it in. Right. So it's always like the, right. best, the best version, the best edit of all your favorite brands. Mm -hmm. So we do the work for you. Yeah. An extraordinary buying team to do that with. Yeah. And to have the courage to do it. Like the thing that I'm thinking about um, a purchase from Intermix was that Veronica Beard sparkly, Yes, that it's like blazer that I got that, you know, that's like, wow. I mean, it's such a great statement. Never, obviously, there's never a time when you wear it that someone's not, you know, yeah. grabbing your arm. What is that? Where did that come from? Yeah, and it's not a huge, that's not a huge investment piece. Right. 
But it is a statement piece. I mean, you know, it's yep. it's great. Everything about it is, is great. So I think that that version of saying, let's learn, take this time to learn the most we can and then mm -hmm. recreate the store experience to be the best version of it possible. Mm -hmm. And that, that I know sounds like a lofty goal, but I, I do think back to like the best of retail isn't that you stuff it full of product or that you have all of these people kind of standing around and staring at you. Right. Best version of retail is the, a, the great store environment that's right for that brand, really engaged, interesting people who are really outgoing and, and can talk mm -hmm. to anyone. Mm -hmm. And the right edit of product. Like that's a winning combination that mm -hmm. doesn't seem so hard, but is difficult yeah. to interpret. It really is hard. Yeah. And I think getting that team together, but it's also super exciting. I mean, how many times have you said, oh, if I could do it again, if we could recreate the store, if we could, you know, if only there were money to do this, yeah. well, there might not be more money now, but there's money that can be spent in a different way if you're not having to put so much inventory into the store and stuff like that. It's really actually very exciting. And maybe you get to use a little more creativity. Mm -hmm. Definitely more creativity and more, um, just different skills that mm -hmm. maybe you didn't have before. Yeah. Um, I can you know, certainly speak for Intermix. We have far less inventory in stores than we used to. Uh -huh. The web business is growing faster. So some of that, more of that inventory is sitting in the distribution center for the web. Right. So we're recreating new visual merchandising standards that are about having less inventory. And it's actually makes it better for the store. Because you, you can find things better and it's still like the best version of the edit. You can actually find it. We always right. said that it was really hard to find jeans in the store because they were like crammed among all the other things. Right. Now we actually can build a whole jeans denim world. Right. Add great tops into that. And so there's all, there's all kinds of upside. That's awesome. And the other thing about that too, as far as denim too, is like if you go to a bigger store, there's so much denim all over the place. It's hard to say like, okay, what's, what is the new thing in denim? Well, I'm going to go to Intermix because I know they always have, you know, like, you know, you see it in a magazine or you see it on an influencer and you're like, okay, now I'm seeing these jeans a lot. Like this is what my clients do all the time. They'll show me a picture and go, what is this? I like this look, but I can't figure out how I would find that jean. Right. You know, so that's, you know, the kind of thing that you have going for you that other bigger stores don't. And jeans are so hard to buy. So, so hard to buy. So it's like, you know, swimwear and denim. And like the, the worst. Uh, that's what I always tell clients because they think it should be, the denim should be so easy. I'm like, no, definitely, <laughs> definitely not. And, and sometimes when those clients show me that jean, the mom jean or whatever it is, the jean, you know, I'm like, it's not really the best look for your figure. So I know it's the hot look right now, but let's go with this jean. Think you'll be happier, you know, with this jean. Yeah. Yeah. And they're lucky to have you, you know, for those clients that don't have someone like, like you right. helping them style, then you know, hopefully stores, wherever they are, um, intermix or not, are helping them do some right. of that work. Um, because there's nothing right. worth being lost wandering out of a department store trying to figure out what to do and no one to help you right and then getting home and saying why did they talk me into this that too for sure this is just a nightmare and so that's why when i ran into intermix that day and i was in such a rush and i was like these these are the things about my body don't tell me no they're not there because they are so i need something that covers up this that covers up this you know da, da, da. and they were like yes ma'am we're on it and they got on their microphones and they were all running around and bringing stuff up it was like a dance it was really it was really great okay shopping for denim as a female is can be and has been for us in the past a complete nightmare and mom and I are looking for this very specific gene right now and my first thought was oh I need to get physically to an intermix store because right. shopping for denim online mm -hmm. is pretty horrific you would be doing that for six months having to order all the different sizes and everything so anyway it just speaks to your expertise and, and everything that you're implementing so great job ron yeah it's the value of retail there are things that you don't want to buy yes. 
And that's one of them. That is definitely one of them because it happened last time she ordered a bunch. And I was like, this is when she lived near the meatpacking intermix. I said, just run down there. Yeah. She ended up spending an hour and got at least two, maybe three pair of denims right then, you know, after all that time of ordering and returning. And then the same thing this time we tried to order some and she's returning them all. And she said, I'm just going to have to go to intermix. So that's, um, and that's not being biased. That's just, that's just what it is. All right. So we loved your tips for how to continue on, even when things are beyond tough. Can you share some of those with our audience? Yeah, I'd love to. I think where we are today, even, for, even further along from you know, when I wrote some of those, is this idea of, of building your network. So I talk about kind of this board of advisors to have around you. But I think the opportunity that, that many people in retail have is building a wider network that is not feeling like you are looking for another job, but you are out just meeting interesting people that you never know where your paths will reconnect again. Mm-hmm. And it's, I know it's really scary and it's, it can feel daunting and difficult but what I would say is, you know, right now, if you are looking for another opportunity, the best thing you can do is to meet as many people as you can, because right now there are a lot of people applying for jobs on online, on websites. Mm. There are fewer jobs and more people. Yeah. Today. And your likelihood of getting a job is going to come through people that you know more than it is applying on a website. Um, and so I'm trying to do things in conjunction with the book around creating just networking forums for, right. for um, to help people, whatever that might look like, be open to the idea of building new relationships. And that, that for me is so much fun and mm-hmm. for the future when things are really tough more than ever. The most important thing you can do, like watch all the free webinars that are all retail innovation week was this week, hundred percent free. Wow. Where you could watch any, you know, I, I did, I spoke this week at Retail Innovation Week, but it's all free. And all the speakers and all the net, their networking events, they had all kinds of things that were available. I would hope that as many people as possible find those and engage, watch speakers, reach out to them on LinkedIn, ask, you know, can I have 15 minutes of your time, build, mm-hmm. build relationships that you may not need today have an interest in a vendor mm-hmm. that you don't know, mm-hmm. do it. And I would say it's led to a lot of the success I've had with the book is because of my network. Mm-hmm. Sure. And your career. So let's go over that again then. So since people can't, you know, they would easily just say, well, I can't go have coffee with people right now because mm-hmm. of COVID. So how they need to, how do they find these, these opportunities like you were talking about? So the best, the best place is really LinkedIn. Okay. To- because you know, these big companies like Retail Innovation Week do advertise on, on LinkedIn and you'll see the streams and you'll see posts. And if you find people that are interesting, either like, follow them, ask to connect, send them a note, but th- that's the best place to engage. And I, I actually really appreciate it when someone says, I, I like what you're doing. I like what you have to say. Can I have 15 minutes of your time? Right. That's, that's good. It works. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Cause what's happening on LinkedIn now, you know, somebody will ask you to connect and then immediately they're sending these like, it's like spam almost, you know, this little thing that it pops up, they set it up where they just connect with a ton of people. So you get to the point where you're like, I don't even want to look at these messages anymore. Cause most of them are, are yeah. a mass message. So maybe starting out with, I heard you speak or, I love the fact that you do this, somehow letting the person you're messaging know you're, you're being business, That's you know. Exactly, exactly right. I, I kind of took this attitude a couple of years ago when I knew that this kind of book was, was in the works. Of, mm-hmm. I was watching a lot of webinars and I was listening to people who, um, not that were authors, but were interesting in the industry. And same, I would, I'd see them and I'm like, they seem really cool. Like I kind of want to be their friend. Right. Or like, I just want to know you. And I will tell you, people have been very generous back. Um, and 
it's, it's those connections that you have when things are tough that will help you move your career forward. I would build, a, build your own business or launch something. Right. Uh, like change, maybe you pivot to a different industry. The only way you're going to do that is through connections because your right. website is not going to look good on a website. Right. right. Connections are everything. Everything. It's everything. And it's scary. I understand it. And it's hard. Um, but, it, but don't give up. Right. All they can do is tell, you know, that's the worst. So, okay. and a lot of times, you know, as Dee always says, well, you, you won't know till you try. 100%. So, yeah. and you're not going to get a response from everyone. Exactly. You're not. Always get you're not. Um, but it doesn't mean that you shouldn't keep trying to build it. I, there, I will reference, I won't use her name, but her, she's quoted in, in my book. She reached out to me a couple of years ago on LinkedIn and said, you know, I've worked in retail for a long time. You know, I like what you have to say. I've heard you a couple of times. Can we have coffee? This is when you could have coffee. She came to my office. We sat, we talked, she took a picture with me and we like stayed in great contact. She has incredible things to say. She um, referred me to a couple other um, podcasts for the for book promotion. Right. Uh, she, um, and just is build, also building her career She's come to a couple of um, Goodwill events that I've hosted. Just, you know, those kinds of relationships are very important in our industry. Yes. Keep that moving forward um, and don't be afraid of it. And don't take it personally. Don't take it personally. If they don't, who knows, you know, what's going on in their lives. It's most, most likely they didn't go, oh, that person looks horrible. I'm not going to respond to you. You know, it was something else. So, um, Well, keep us posted on the Goodwill events. Love to support. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, there's actually one coming up um, that I'll make sure I'll, I'll send to you or we can include, but it's the biggest fundraiser of the year, and this year it's virtual. Oh, great. Let us know. I yeah. took some stuff to Goodwill today near my neighborhood. They have this wonderful, literally, you drive up, and they come out with a cart, and they take your things, and, um, you know, very COVID-conscious, but... Just a great experience. Right. I'm happy to hear that. Ron, how do you stay on top of trends and what's happening in fashion and culture? <laughs> Feels like a full-time job. Yeah. Um, no kidding. <laughs> uh, I, I think it's, it's finding the resources that give you the most amount of information in the shortest amount of time. That's <laughs> what I would say. You know, so there are great Things like Women's Wear Daily, Business of Fashion. Business of Fashion is actually pretty reasonable. It's not free, but right, you know, right. I get a lot of information on there. From there, there are podcasts that I listen to pretty regularly. Some fashion and retail, more, and some news. There are just a few different websites that I visit, but I try to actually compact all of that in an hour every day. Wow! Yeah, so it's kind of my morning routine. Same. You know, of like, you know, those like WWD and BOF come in. Yeah. So I sit and I, those are the first things I read. I'm looking at, at that. And I don't tend to like scroll through Instagram or any of that. I do all my news reading mm-hmm. in an hour. And then I feel like I'm educated on what's happening in our industry. That's great. And you also have the, I'm sure the data that you're, from what's selling and what's not and, you know, all that kind of stuff to kind of back it up too. So that's. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. And it's, there's a lot of great information on in there about, you know, back to networking, maybe you read something in business of fashion about someone or written by someone I've done this. And I've then reached out and said, I love what you wrote here mm-hmm. about the positivity of retail. Mm-hmm. Like, thank you they almost always respond. You can find those writers and editors on mm-hmm. LinkedIn. And so just do like find, find the resource, listen to the podcast and then just send them a note. Mm-hmm. Go a little deeper, go a little deeper. Right. Don't just read it. Actually engage with it. Right. Don't just like the post. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Liking doesn't really do much. I mean, you know, it's nice. It's but not. If somebody's getting 3,000 likes, they're probably not looking through all of them. 
So in the book, you had such incredible tips on how to focus. And that is something that is very important to master, but in today's climate can be challenging since, I don't know, social media has just trained us to have such a short attention span. So do you want to discuss anything here about focus as a teaser to page 99 of the PDF? <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's, it's, it's difficult to always be good at this, but what I would say is like build your own kind of routine to get things done. That works for me. You know, like during certain times, I know I do certain things. Okay. Um, I know staying focused at, at work when I need to be at work, focused on the book when I need to do that, you know, focused on being a good husband when I need to do that. Mm -hmm. So I think that there's, there's opportunities to build our life around some structure that helps me stay focused. And so for example, like what you're talking about. So in the morning, I do the same thing you do. I start out with business of fashion and women's wear daily, but the whole time I'm thinking I need to be on Instagram. I need to check our this or that, but you allow yourself. I'm going to dedicate one hour to get as much information. I'm not going to look at anything else. I'm not going to yep. get distracted in that way. You can, you actually achieve your goal of seeing what's new. That's what, that's what everybody needs to do. It's just too easy, you know, to jump from, Oh, wait a minute. I better check my emails. Oh, wait a minute. I better see if I got a text. <laughs> then exactly. your brain is shot. It is. And then you, it, it, you're running in too many different directions. And so I do give kind of a tip in the book around scheduling unproductive time, you know, white ah. you want to call it and just say, you know what, this is my like 30 minute Instagram time. It's super like just light and easy and I'm enjoying it. But, right. but yeah, if you're constantly distracted by everything, you won't be focused. And it's you hard. have to be able to find those, those times and, and to be comfortable like sitting on the couch and watching Netflix or right. looking at Instagram. That's all fine. It doesn't mean you have to be highly productive every minute of the day. Right, it's probably but, better if you're not. Right, it's better if you're not. But the the idea of accomplishing multiple things is doable if you if you manage. I, I think your time lots. Yeah, yeah I, I, it's hard, but it is so important. If not, you're just sometimes I feel like I'm standing in the middle of a circle, and everywhere I look, there's something I need to be doing, and not, you know it's just overwhelming. So that's I'm gonna I'm gonna take your advice on that. <laughs> everyone needs to read the book to get a lot more, you know, advice than even just that one thing. That's yeah. just the beginning. All right. So we talked about creativity, empathy, and focus. And I love that. And I think we should all really concentrate on implementing that in our own lives. I think it's good advice. <laughs> <laughs> and what should people keep in mind throughout their career? Yeah, I think what I would say is, um, which is the, the, the subtitle of, of the book is The Guide to Celebrating Your Accidental Career. Mm -hmm. I actually think it's the shift from accidental to intentional right. that moves your career forward. Okay. And I do hear really often that, oh, I didn't plan on doing this. I went to school and studied something else. So true. Uh, and, but here you are 15 years into your career. This right. is not an accident anymore. Right. This is your career. And when you kind of have that mental shift of say, then if this is no longer an accident, regardless of the industry you work in, and you then say, all right, then I need to work for great leaders. I need to work for a, a solid company. I need to surround myself with great inspiration. Mm -hmm. I need to teach myself new skills because particularly in retail, it's, your skills are only as good as the brand you work for and the people that you have around you. Yes. Because there's not an education that says, I'm going to be great at retail. You have to right. learn, you have to do the hard work. And so if I say, once you admit that this is not an accident anymore and that you love it, then you can build your infrastructure to make yourself successful. And I think that does apply to a lot of different careers. But that's when you start doing your research and that's when you start building your network. And that's when you say, you know, I, I'm not looking for a new job today. 
but I'm going to act like I am. And I'm going to network and have coffees and have conversations and just be known as someone that's um, has a skill that's that I can offer to potential future jobs, always networking, always thinking about the future and teach yourself about the industry. That's great. Words to live by for sure. There, there is so much more that we would love to cover. And I, we just really feel strongly that everybody needs to read this book. Yeah. Thank really, you. Really, really, really. There's so many, I mean, it's, and read it several times <laughs> and have a pen and paper with you and highlighter and everything. <laughs> it's a light, you know, it's a fun read with a lot of quotes and a lot of you know, my own kind of just nuggets throughout. It's, yes. it's meant to be kind of done in small pieces. You can pick it up at any time, mm -hmm. pick up on your day. I think that's a fun part of, of the book. And it's, and it's meant to be colorful. It's meant to be energetic. Mm -hmm. It's meant to be engaging and something you can share. Oh, yes. It is all those things. Seriously. Mm -hmm. Thank you. The cover, I'll just mention briefly and can close. The, the purpose of the cover being like, super colorful is that I really think of retail as, as art mm -hmm. and that the cover is an art piece. I and love if, that. If it's opened up all the way, you know, you can see that it's, it's really bright and colorful and meant to kind of signify that retail is open to all, all colors, shapes, sizes, whomever you are, that retail is for, for all and that it's an art and that this is kind of a coffee table book of, that is an art piece that represents an industry that is very much an art form. And I think that that's not, that's not always how it's spoken about. Right. Really change that conversation. That is lovely. Absolutely lovely. So where can people find you? Uh, Retailpride.com. Oh, easiest, right. easiest thing to do. All the, the links to the book are there. Um, I do, I'm hosting um, what I'm calling Saturday mornings with Ron starting in January. Oh, that's great. Live webinar networking events. I have a blog. Wow built in there. Um, all the different podcasts and media that I'm doing are all there, um, as well as all the social media links. So that's outside.com is the best place. That's great to know. Yeah. We will put that in the show notes. Thank you, Ron, for being here. Loved, loved it. Thank you, both of you. It's such a pleasure to watch your success. You Yours. always showing up somewhere in my feeds. <laughs> somewhere, I see you every day on something. <laughs> Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, thanks so much, Ron. Yes. Okay, everyone. We will see you next time. Thank you for tuning into this episode on the Style That Binds Us podcast. If you like this podcast, make sure to tell a friend and subscribe. You can be a part of growing with us. Also, do you know about our weekly newsletter? You'll get access to exclusive content in our newsletter that we don't post anywhere else. Our newsletter comes out every Tuesday with the exception of the third Thursday of the month for Allison's special Celebrating Life After 40 edition. Head to the bottom of the Style That Binds Us website to subscribe.